What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser, and joining me, as always, is my doppelganger, Kangabanger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, my mother lickers. And returning this week, Mr. Slick Nick with the big woo, Reese. I'm back, y'all. Yes, yes. So we got a doozy of an episode for you today, but first, you know what time it is. It's time for your slice of life. Nick, how was your week? It wasn't bad. Um, I was obviously gone for the last one. I was off at a wedding. Uh, went pretty well. It's pretty good. I've been friends with that dude since I was like four. So that was nice to uh, get to see him again. First time in a while. Uh, didn't want to ever even see a beer again for a while after his bachelor party. But the rest of it went pretty well. Um, and just spent most of this week uh, tired trying to catch up my work and reset my sleep schedule to get back to normal. But other than that, not bad. Brody? Well, like, as I say every week, Mr. Bowser, flat out at work. Um, oh, I happened to treat myself and buy Martyrs on Blu-ray. Martyrs? I never seen that film. Martyrs. What's that about? Yeah. Well, it's a nice little uh, French film from the early 2000s. Oh, my and Lord. it's basically, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's basically about a, these two girls that is um, that were brought up in an institution, I do believe, and they were tortured or from what I recall, it's been a few, it's been a hot minute since I've seen it. And then they slowly get back at the people that tortured them. So it's a bit ah. of that torture porn, you know, the good stuff. What uh, year it's is very that? disturbing. I think it was 2008. That sounds about right. I, yeah. Um, this is one film that actually really disturbed me when the credits were rolling. Like not many films do that, but this one certainly did it for me. Mm. Um, also, uh, I happened to receive a message on eBay about my Scarecrow's Blu-ray. Unfortunately, <laughs> it didn't come this week, but it will be coming next week with a surprise freebie. And that conversation in itself, I'm not going to get into it, but it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Okay. I wake up for a couple of messages this morning and I'm like, so the next generation, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is that a Region B? And he's like, I don't know. So... Oh, yeah, I could have looked that up for you, buddy. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it is what it is. So hopefully I'll receive a message soon. And yeah, should be all sweet. Hopefully next week I'll get that. What about yourself, Mr. Bowser? Well, I got some new films in as well. I got uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie in 4K from Blue Underground. I got a couple Criterion films in, mostly Wes Anderson films. Let's scratch that all Wes Anderson films. And I, and I ordered Iguana with a Tongue of Fire. Uh, Night of the Living Dead from Criterion and Dress to Kill from Criterion for our upcoming episode. Uh, some camera gear, some stuff like that. Uh, properly reinvesting in a project louder. Working on some other shows. We got pre-pro on a show that will be announced tomorrow. Uh, super excited about that. Brody's going to be hosting that one. But by the time that mm-hmm. this podcast comes out, I guess it will already be announced. So I might as well talk about it. And that will be uh, Fatality, a Mortal Kombat retrospective, hosted by Big Johnny D and K- Brody Kane, or as he'll go on the show as Kaney. The artwork, you'll <laughs> understand. Reference to Kane. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a shout out to Corey Kaufman, too. That artwork is fucking fantastic. Yeah. And not to mention Mr. Bowser's uh, little music theme for the opening. opening. So, yeah, it sounds fucking great yes uh i mixed all that intro together and i was like oh this captures everything that this show is going to be about and then Corey's like oh dude i want to make artwork to this now and then he's like but it has to be as good as his intro so he's like okay let's do this and of course the boys were like reference photo city 
They're like, you know what? I'll send you full body reference photos of us posing like the Mortal Kombat characters. So you guys are in for a treat tomorrow. Well, the 20th. <laughs> Whatever day. Whatever day yeah. you see it on the internet. Okay? The logistics are too much right now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about film, guys, in this week's film, which is 2015's Green Room, which is Slick Nick's pick. Mm-hmm. God, I love God, I love this fucking movie. <laughs> I love everything Jeremy Saunier's made so far. Uh, but like I said, I I watched this last night and instantly ordered a copy of Blue Ruin, and now I'm on the hunt for one for Murder Party, which I'm sure wouldn't be too hard. I just didn't look that hard last night. <laughs> now, how do we uh, say his last name? Saunier. 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 Yeah. Okay. Saunier. So this film is made by director Jeremy Saunier, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, who also did Goldfarb 1998, which is a short murder party in 2007, Blue Ruin, yeah, Blue Ruin in 2013, Hold the Dark in 2018. He also wrote this film. Cinematographer Sean Porter, who did Bass Ackwards in 2010, Squid Band in 2013, and The Trust in 2016. In Green Book in 2018, it has nothing to do with this film, and I guess it's a pretty nice little film. Music by <laughs> Brooke Blair and Will Bear. Blair. Bear. Blair. Who also Bear. did <laughs> Murder Party in 2007, Blue Ruin in 2013, Hold the Dark in 2018, and, and of course, 2019's Black Christmas. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Budget $5 million <laughs> hairs, starring the late, great Anton Yelchin as Pat. You may know him from Alpha Dog in 2006, Chekhov from Star Trek in 2009 and subsequent movie films, and Terminator Salvation from 2009. Yow! Joe Cole as <laughs> Reese from Skins in 2012, Peaky Blinders from 2013 to 2017, and Black Mirror in 2017. Aaliyah Shawkat as Sam. You may know her as Maybe from Arrested Development from 2003 to 2019. Whip It from 2009. And Duck Butter from 2018. Callum Turner as Tiger from Queens and Country in 2014. Tramps in 2016. And the better known Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And I think the the sequel that's being made right now from 2018. Macon Blair as Gabe, also seen in Murder Party, Blue Ruin, and 2019's Swamp Thing. Mark Webber is Daniel. You may know him from Scott Pilgrim versus the World in 2010, The End of Love in 2012, and Flesh and Blood in 2017. Imogen Poots as Amber. You may know her from 28 Weeks Later from 2007, Night of Cups in 2015. And once again, need I mention <laughs> that god-awful Black Christmas from 2019. Can't be firing on all cylinders all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, fuck that film. Patrick Stewart as Darcy. I fucking hope you know him as the wonderful <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek The Next Generation 1987 and 1994 mm. and all of his other perfor- uh, performances and appearances as that character. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Professor oh. Xavier from 2000's X-Men and subsequent movie films. Oh, yeah. And for those of you who don't know or don't watch the Seth MacFarlane stuff. He is uh, director Bullock in American Dad. He's been that from 2005 to 2020. That's been great the entire time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. But he is quite awesome. Slick Nick, want to read it for us? Sure thing. 
So this movie is about a punk rock band that becomes trapped in a secluded venue after finding a scene of violence. For what they saw, the band themselves become targets of violence from a gang of white power skinheads who want to eliminate all evidence of the crime. Yep. Short and sweet. Mm -hmm. Unlike your big man meat. You know what they say, you're never the same after you go one-on-one with a great one. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Okay, awards, guys. They won lots of awards. So I only put the stuff that they won because they got nominated for it even more. And we don't got all day. So in 2015 at the Austin Fantastic Fest, they won the Audience Award for Horror and Sci-Fi. At the Festival Du Navish Cinema in 2015, they won the Audience Award for Best Film. Fucking nailed it. Montreal Festival. <laughs> <was for> you, <laughs> Montreal Festival of New Cinema in 2015. The Temso People Choice Award. Jeremy Sanier. Uh, the New Chantel International Fantastic Film Festival in 2015. They won the Audience Award. Jeremy did. Uh, Dennis D. Rogmont Youth Award. Jeremy won that as well. And the Narcisse Award for Best Feature Film. The National Board of Review of the United States of America in 2016 uh, awarded it the NBR Award for Top 10 Independent Films. And Fangoria gave it a Chainsaw Award in 2017 for Best Makeup and Special Effects. Fuck yes, it did. To the yeah. So, guys, it's that part of the show. Let's get physical. Okay, so the only decent release of this film, well, that we're kind of like readily available to us with the exception of Brody, is Lionsgate's release from July 12th, 2016. And that is a 1080p video and a 2K Blu-ray audio is a DTS HD 5.1. Features audio commentary with writer-director Jeremy Saulnier and a Into the Pit making green room featurette. And it is sadly region A locked. Uh, Nick just ran into the background and I grabbed still had it on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so, there it is. Yeah, there, what we are referring to here. It's glorious. It's it's not as nice as the ones we've uh, reviewed on previous episodes. No, it doesn't. It doesn't even have alternate artwork, which really saddened me. <laughs> it, it's even have the recyclable cutouts on the front to make yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah, it's. <laughs> It's, yeah. Do any of the A24 films get uh, really nice releases or are they all just this mass market type should. deal? Well, whether they should or That's not, it's not, not up for debate. It's have they got that treatment or is are they too new? Yet? Um, I'm not totally sure. You, I believe because they did Hereditary, didn't they? Yes. Is that A24? Yeah, I thought, I thought Hereditary did because that one was probably one of their, their biggest movies. Yeah, because uh, The Lighthouse is a little indie. I don't think that got a, a huge release or anything. Like Robert Pattinson, um, Willem Dafoe, Lighthouse? Yeah. Oh. The, the really, really, really good black and white movie. <laughs> and then Uncut Gems, I think, went like straight to Netflix at the start. Oh, Moonlight. Moonlight won a fucking Oscar. I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is probably like Criterion type stuff. Mm. Criterion does do A24 films because I believe... Wait, or did somebody picked up the lighthouse uh, on Blu-ray not too long ago? I'm pretty sure. 
I mean, I should. I'm going to at one point. I love that movie. Oh, no, it didn't get like a special release yet. Interesting. It didn't? Interesting. No. Damn it. Well, when it does, someone let me know. <laughs> I like Criterion or uh, Arrow to pick those guys up and really give them a proper treatment. That'd be cool. That'd be sick. Especially some of their other films. Okay, let's get on to some additional information. Brody, take it away. Before he was a filmmaker, director Jeremy Solnay. Did I say that right? Yeah. Solnay. Yeah. Sonia. Was, Sonia was heavily influenced by the music subgenre of 80s skate punk. Evolving from such talent, him and his friends started a hardcore band and around the same time started making short films. Many years would pass and his past hobbies would eventually help him inspire him to write and direct his second feature film, Green Room. Actor Macon Blair, who plays Gabe and also starred in Jeremy's first feature film, Blue Ruin, is a collaborator and one of his best friends who was showing up throughout these short films in the 80s. Jeremy Solnay states in an interview with Vice, he was always a part of my cinematic upbringing. We made our first film together in the sixth grade around 1988. He's actually acted in every movie he's made so far. Yeah, and he's a fucking decent actor too. He's good. <laughs> so good. Coming off a successful film that screened at Khan's film festival titled Blue Ruin, Jeremy Solnay was offered a lot of choices to make other films until Green Room popped up. He states, things start to align and you're offered a whole lot of choices, but what it came down to be that Green Room is what I honestly thought that only I could make right, uh, right here, now and then. When asked if it was a challenge to balance these characters out on screen, Jeremy, Jeremy states that once that he had the ensemble on board, it was easy to cast the, these two types of people, punks and Nazis or skinheads. So it was about being authentic but not too punk in the punk rock scene. It was really about their political view, uh, political views. It just seemed native to the environment overall. Punk pretty much channels a certain amount of aggression and is often used by the white supremacist movement to recruit kids and then distort whatever issues they have and channel it morbidly. Yeah, it's unfortunate too. Yeah, he's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. I think we should probably state uh there Nazis are different than skinheads, but these are skinhead Nazis. <laughs> Mostly because of time frame. <laughs> yeah. Because the other skinheads are like the sixties British workers. Well, I can guys. assure you that the skinheads like, of modern day are pussies compared to real Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, Just saying. Into the Pit, The Making of Green Room, cinematographer Sean Porter states that just because I'm in a tight space doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to shoot wide lenses. I like to keep things in perspective. So if the room is getting smaller, I like that I'm also getting pushed inwards and things naturally start to get closer. For example, we had a lot of wider shots at the start of the film and then as it progresses, it gets tighter and tighter to create a fear of claustrophobia. That's when Patrick Stewart, oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it works extremely well. When Patrick Stewart was mentioned to Jeremy Solnay to star as Darcy, as the leader of the skinheads, he did not believe that there was a chance in hell that he wanted to do the film until he received a text message of majority of photos on his phone of Patrick standing there as an old man. Jeremy knew right there and then that he was the perfect choice, not due to his boy uh, fanboying moment 
of Patrick, but for the fact that he was more like the character references that he was doing for research. Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart joined the film 10 days before the film's production had begun. Short and sweet. Uh, The story of Patrick Stewart joining the film is quite interesting. I love this. He was at his secluded house in England and was given Blue Ruin, Jeremy Solnier's previous film, to which he responded to the tension, leading him to then read Green Room, got to page four of the script and stopped, locked all of his windows and doors, turned on all of the perimeter lights, grabbed himself an alcohol beverage and finished the script. What do you think Patrick's doing uh, drinks? Guinness? It was scotch. Oh, okay. I know it was scotch only because I watched this I interview with him. Scotch. I know it was scotch. I watched this interview with him. This is the interview that got me to watch this movie for the first time was him describing it. it was he was like, I got up and poured a glass of scotch and then walked around and closed all my windows and then turned on all my perimeter lights and sat down and just kept drinking the scotch and reading it till I finished the whole thing. And then just called my agent was like, I'll do it. <laughs> I was like, well, if he liked it that much, I'm watching this fucking movie as soon as I get home. <laughs> Keep it going, bro. Kane. Jeremy Solnia always intended the premise of the story to take place in one location. The premise of the green room itself is crafted as the centerpiece of the film's layer. As the live performance fluctuates kinetic energy around it to harness the tension of one way and one way out. Sorry, one way in and one way out. Or in his own words, a clusterfuck. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Talking about violence in his movies, Jeremy Solnier states that violence in my movies are often highlighted because it's a gut punch upon viewing when people die, especially in my movies to which I use it as a very powerful narrative tool and to make it unsettling. And he delivers every time, like, I mean, Blue Ruin, Green Room, I'm telling you, I don't, it's realistic. Does Blue Ruin count as ex- exploitation? Do you think we could end up watching that one at one point, or should I just mention that headshot now? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Lord, oh, yeah, no, Ted, yeah, Teddy's. I, I don't know. The sound design of that movie was so great too. When that first cartridge cracked past him and went off into the woods, and he heard the sound just break past him, and then turned around, and half his head comes off. I love Blue Ruin. (laughs) It's such an underrated film. And that scene, I just got to, I just got to mention this, that scene where the knife goes into his head and you see the blood come through his eye. Mm -hmm. Fuck. I've never seen anything like it. It just looks so fucking (sighs) real. And then just the, the twitch as it's firing off all of his neurons and everything before he falls over. Oh, oh, so good. (laughs) It's orgasmic. Mm. As a musician myself, the one thing that I really appreciated about these actors in the film is that they were able to actually pick up an instrument and learn to play these songs throughout the film, leading up to performing at the cast party. Now, what were you saying before, Nick? You were you were mentioning something about these actors. Performing. And their training. Yeah, so um, Hutch Harris, uh, the lead singer of the band The Thermals, uh, a little indie alt-rock band, uh, was cr- uh, recruited early on by Sonier, uh to teach the actors the basics of how to properly play their instruments because he wanted it to feel like they were an actual real band on screen. Um, though, so Hutch had said in an interview that I read or an article that he had written about it shortly afterwards was that uh, Anton Yelchin actually was used to being in bands already and was already proficient at bass by the time 
that he came in to teach them and was I quoted him from the article as he said, honestly, he could have done my job for me. Like I did, I didn't really need to be there except for the others. So he mostly taught uh, Aaliyah Shawkat how to play the guitar uh, and the entire time was trying not to celebrity crush over her because he was such a fan of her uh, in Arrested Development and had to keep reminding himself not to call her maybe the entire time. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, other than that, some of the other things that I'd, I'd found. Um, so until Green Room, I looked back through Anton Yelchin's uh, filmography to see if he'd kind of eased his way into horror or anything. No, uh, he'd done Fright Night in 2011, uh, which actually Imogen Poots was on with him. Uh, I think that was the first time they worked together. Um, so he had done Fright Night and that was, I think, four years or so before and then was just doing kind of thrillers, things like that, and then just went straight back into this sort of thriller, psychological horror uh, kind of. So I just I thought it was cool. He just kind of dipped out and then just came back. and was like, I'll do another horror movie. Why not? Um, and so also uh, he worked with Aaliyah Shawkat earlier the same year on uh, the the Driftless Area, um, which, as I understand, is a weird non chronological, like psychological dramedy kind of movie. Uh, the fuck apparently it wasn't. I, it was like a dra- it's like a Canadian <laughs> dramedy. It's supposed to be like storytelling. If you've seen Big Fish, I guess it's supposed to be kind of like that. Um, uh, but yeah. And so other than Anton Yelchin, actually actor Joe Cole, uh, who plays the drummer Reese, was professionally trained by the musician uh, Lisa Schoenberg, who's from the Portland area that they filmed and set the uh, the movie in. Uh, so he said that he also didn't have to teach Joe anything. He came in and just the guy could already play drums. Um, and so he was like, he said he was chaotic and crazy whenever they were doing it. And he's like, he's everything that we wanted a punk drummer to be. So he was perfect already. Um, and then my favorite part of, of this movie, the soundtrack. Uh, so the soundtrack for this uh, draws extremely heavily out of punk and metal scenes from the 80s and 90s. Of course, it kind of goes up into the present a little bit as well. Uh, they included tracks from bands like Obituary, Slayer, uh, Bad Brains, Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bad Brains, Napalm Death, uh, and, yeah. and others as well. Yeah, uh, I think Patsy's Rats was another one. Uh, but it also includes two original songs that they created and recorded as the Ain't Rights. Uh, beforehand which is the songs what have i become and toxic evolution uh from the song uh, as well as two covers uh that they did uh that they fully recorded and if you get the soundtrack you can actually just listen to it they did full versions of the songs i have them in playlists that i listened to on the way to work because i really like the soundtrack for this movie and i think they did a really good job but uh they, yeah they did two covers they did nazi punks fuck off obviously um and coronary by missionary position Ooh. Uh, which is a, yeah. One of your favorites, isn't it? Uh, I really like them. Yeah. Fuck But yeah. Um, and so I was trying to think, so I originally went into this thinking of it as kind of a Nazi exploitation movie, but it just didn't really fit. Those are just a little bit too different. So I kind of reapproached it as this has callbacks to like the, like the seventies, uh, Nazi films. A little bit. It like, does, yeah. dude. Like, it so really it, does. It, but, but don't call them Nazis, man. But, like, you right. know, it, it's, <laughs> it definitely has that feel at times only because of the way that they portray some of them with, like, the red laces and the way they portray the brotherhood and stuff. 
like the mm-hmm. weird shit that, they, that goes on, the, the culty type right. shit that goes on. That's really well thought out and portrayed really well. And like even the setting is just fucking wild. I also like mm-hmm. how we don't really see. Actually, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it fucking later. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, uh, what do we even call this? You know, I don't. I I just kind of think of it just like a punk rock exploitation movie. It's not the only one by any means. I mean, but I, it's so much more than that because of the Nazi I know element. exactly. Um, so I kind of thought. I was thinking of just movies that at least fell into sort of a similar regard, uh, at least in bringing punk into the forefront in movies. I think SLC punk kind of kicked that off a little bit. So I kind of thought to include that there Um, in just watching punks get killed by things. uh, Return of the living dead. I will, I will never not love watching what's his name. The character suicide, I think is actually his name. Uh, The character who walks in and tar man brains and just, bonks on the top of his head and he goes out i will never not laugh at that i love that movie uh and then more recently a film that uh tj here has seen but i have not because i wasn't aware of it until i uh started researching for this movie but uncle peckerhead yes uh, which came out last year it is wild it's fun it's it's crazy and it's shot really Mm -hmm. well and uh whoever the cinematographer on it uh, i applaud them i i applaud them it's the color palette uh, is tasteful. <laughs> pretty great. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm definitely probably going to watch it here pretty soon. Um, I might do that later tonight. Honestly, if I get a minute, I'll probably go ahead and watch that as well. Uh, and I didn't really put it in our, our notes or anything, but I was kind of thinking of this on the way to work today was um, it's kind of like red state a little bit too, like 2011s or was that 2010 red state uh, with the, uh, the teenagers getting basically, drugged and abducted by the the parody of the Westboro Baptist Church uh, and having to fight their way oh, out because they realize that they're going, full Waco, <laughs> they're going full Waco and like hoarding guns and stuff and they've got to fight their way out of that and everyone just ends up getting fucking killed on the way out and everything. The only thing that makes that a little bit different is you have that whole B-plot of John Goodman <laughs> organizing an ATF raid on the place <laughs> at the same time. I, I like that movie too. But yeah, I kind of thought I kind of felt some similarities in that and thought about that on the uh, while I was driving around this morning. <laughs> That's some deep thoughts from Slick Nick. OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> super deep. <laughs> uh, OK, guys, so let's talk about it. <laughs> Okay, guys, favorite performance. Brody, take it away. This was a really tough one for me because I liked all the characters in this film. Um, but I narrowed it down to one, and I'm going to have to go with Worm. I liked Big Worm. Um, he is just one brutal and scary motherfucker. Uh, I just found him extremely interesting. Like, he he doesn't care about anything. He's got no emo- – he's just motionless. Um, and we get very little of him on screen, but I think we have our new shirt. I like yeah. Big Worm. <laughs> I like Big Worm. And <laughs> the decal of him dragging the body by the knife underneath. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just find him really interesting. Um, um, and I would love to see like his past events to like mold him into this extremely psychotic piece of shit that he is. You know. Um, why he cuts his beard that way i'd love to see that (laughs) (laughs) um 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just found him really intriguing. And and for the fact that he can just go on stage after he's just fucking brutally murdered someone and uh, start jamming out, I don't know. Like, I just found him really interesting. He, he brings a he brings a um, presence to screen that makes you really fucking fearing. And I think that's, yeah. that's what I chose him. And you pointed it out, that scene of him talking down Pat, asking him about the, the song, the Toxic Evolution. Like, I, yeah, no, it he's immediately commands attention whenever he's the focus of the scene for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nick? Who'd you go for mate? Uh, I was kind of stuck. Cause I really didn't want to have to pick Darcy. Um, because I felt it might be a little bit too obvious considering it's Patrick Stewart who normally either is a kooky zany character or a morally upright you know, just the the good guy, but he plays this evil piece of shit character, which you hear him uttering white supremacist <laughs> terms. And I'm, okay, if there's can, such can a we disconnect. talk about the scene where he talks about selling uh, tainted drugs to minorities as a way to kill them. Did you sure. Catch that? Did you catch that? Yes. I was like, what? Because he literally fuck? said, stay away from the, not yeah. going to say that, dope. <laughs> because it's all fucking poisoned. And I was like, is that part of the Nazi thing? Evil. Are, are they doing, are they making it taint yeah, on yeah. purpose? Or is it yeah, like a no, it's, it's literally part of it. It's, it's like I said earlier, I'm like, these aren't just supposed to be skinheads. They're actually supposed to be, like Jeremy Sonye said, they're supposed to be legit Nazis. Yeah, this, this isn't a party, it's a movement, buddy. Exactly. Exactly. And then he, God, I still can't. I'm like, did I just hear Patrick Stewart say that with my own words? Right. <laughs> that, that's why we have to talk. About I know. It. I, I, well, I it need just, to talk about it. Oh. It's so absurd. Oh. So I was like, ah. yeah. I I wanted to pick him so bad, but I think the standout performance for me was Imogen Poots as Amber. I thought her character was just, just absolutely complicated, um, and just perfect for it like someone who's trying to leave the movement that's basically kicked off the events of all of this is just her trying to get away from it and then trying to explain like why she was even there in the first place when they're stuck in the room with big justin and all that and they're getting into the arguments with each other and then just she carries that same energy all the way through the end even after everything they've experienced when her and pat are sitting on the side of the road and it, i god i just love the ending to this with him just going i figured it out I know what my desert Island band is. And she just looks back and goes, you can tell that to someone who gives a shit. I just, I loved it. I loved her character the entire movie. So I think I'm gonna have to go with Amber. I'm gonna have to go with Imogen for this one. Okay. Well, Oh, I want to say the dogs. They're really fucking awesome. Uh, they do a really good job at being vicious motherfucking dogs. Absolutely. Tiger's um, death is I will have to mention Patrick Stewart, dark. same as you, only because uh, I think it's just so crazy for him to be Patrick Stewart, it's, be Jean-Luc uh, Picard and Professor X, and then be this crazy skinhead guy and be terrifying. Uh, when he says these things, it, it, it shocks you to the core. And I think that's all about delivery, baby. And he's fucking good at it. Uh, mm -hmm. My favorite performance. I'll have to go with the late. Uh, Anton. Anton Yelchin. Yeah, I think that 
it is fantastic for some for a film that's like he's not normally used to that this type of genre i think his performance shines very very fucking bright Mm -hmm. in a film well i mean in a film that's filled with other talents i think he's a standout for me so yeah, I, I think it may come from his experience being in bands beforehand, like uh, Hutch that trained the other actors had said. Um, I think it might just be part of that because they really, really nailed that feeling like they're an actual band, like them bullshitting with the guy who got them that bum gig when they're in his apartment at the start. And he's talking about he's like, yeah, I just don't want to be listening to Youth Brigade in my fucking 70s. Oh, well, Tiger does. He's like, I don't want to live to my 70s. I'm like, God, they are a punk band holy shit <laughs> like it just feels so natural they're really good at it okay guys favorite set piece slick nick uh, actually the front of the bar honestly mm-hmm. uh, i like I, I haven't really been in many green rooms so i couldn't tell you the authenticity of the one back there but uh i'm assuming a skinhead bar in the middle of buttfuck nowhere oregon probably looks like that back there but I'll tell you what, I have been to plenty of punk venues before, and they fucking nailed that front <laughs> of just the grime of just a standard punk venue. Now, the ones that I've been to uh, had a lot less uh, German flags uh, and Iron Eagles around. Uh, <laughs> so that doesn't exactly match up. But yeah, no, just the, the, the bar, the layout, the stage, the overall look of the venue itself, like it man they nailed it it looks so good uh yeah brody yeah i i basically had the same thing yeah the front of the bar um i love them dolly shots in the front bar and it just showcases the stage but also the real old school uh warehouse um windows right at the top of the building that shine the light down on people yeah i I just thought it was really dark and gritty um especially being an isolated fucking warehouse out in the middle of nowhere pretty much um but yeah no that that would be that would be for me the the bar with all the fucking writing on it and it was pretty gnarly mm. for me uh i'd say that the hallway leading up to the green room the green room itself and then the room underneath the green room all three of those rooms for me are just super cool they all flow together they're claustrophobic and it, I don't know, just the the shit that happens in there and the way that the, the, the actors utilize that space is fantastic. It's cool. And they shoot so many different angles within that little space that it's, you just see so much of it. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's great. Oh, yeah. Also, <laughs> I love speaking of that little, that little hallway right there. I like how it's part of Darcy's character that even while he's, attempting to manage the murder and disappearance of this fucking band in his own venue is that he has time to stop, look at Gabe and go, that's a fire hazard. Move it. (laughs) Walk back out into the, (laughs) that he's a stickler for the fire hazard stuff. Yeah, he did. He tried. (laughs) I mean, everything would have been fine for this set. If they just would have listened. It, uh, <laughs> yep it's just those few decisions despite and the, the bullshit that's going on if maybe from arrested development didn't forget her phone it'd be a whole different story yep even even if he had just whenever he, he was like uh she goes call the police and i was like fuck that i'm like okay no 
all right. <laughs> yeah. They they could have maybe lived if Pat had just been like, okay, <laughs> just set the phone down or something. Like, who knows? But I don't know. Uh, who really knows? Because in the end, it was not about the murder. It was about Darcy trying to protect his poisoned heroin ring. Like, but yeah, at but the, the end of the day, it would have been sought out as if the cops came and started searching around, especially for a murder. So I think the whole thing was is. If you're going to get the cops sniffing around here, this is bad, especially in the room that's right above a, the room mm-hmm. that, I, that I make heroin. It's just one of those situations. Right. Who really knows? Like, they may have been fucked the moment he walked in the door, honestly. So. Yeah, uh, I'd be interested if anything happened due to the, uh, the, the intro song. Oh yeah. Well, it definitely it definitely pissed Worm off because he was the one who spat and then walked off into the green room uh-huh. during it. He was the one who was actually pissed. They redeemed themselves with their killer set, though, man. Yep. I mean, they went right into coronary afterwards. I don't know if you guys have heard that song, but it's really fucking good. <laughs> so, favorite scene slash shot. Anybody? Brody, do you want to start this one? Yeah, I will actually. Um, I think it was when we had Darcy outside the door and then, as you just said, Nick, we follow him through the corridor. He says about the fire hazard. But then it's really what does it for me is that dolly track shot from right to left. We follow him to the bar and you see Worm still playing in the background, this heavy fucking set, and everyone's in the background just going bananas. But we're still more, more so focused on Darcy himself talking about obviously the events of what they're going to do. And yeah, I don't know. It just, you have so much kinetic energy happening in the background, but Darcy chews up the scene still. And that, that scene there for me, if, if you can actually pull out a performance like that, you know, like you, you're doing something right. So it, that to me was the standout scene, you know, we just follow him and I think it's Gabe as well. So yeah, no, that, that was the scene that did it for me. Nick. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to go with a different shot of Darcy um, from near the end uh, after Amber and Pat have shown up and taken uh, the other, the other two, the dog handler and just the random red lace guy yes. uh, hostage. And they're walking up, which uh, one of my favorite parts of that was uh, Pat surprising the other red lace guy in there and, Tells him, he's like, give me your gun. He goes, I don't have one. He goes, well, I'm going to fucking kill you either way if you don't give me one. I, I, I don't know. I loved that part just a ton. Uh, and then I think just the final shot when the dog handler guy goes to speak up and Amber just instantly cuts him down. And the other guy goes to turn around and Darcy just realizes, oh, no, nope, nope. They're just going to kill me. Fuck it. I, no, I'm just going to walk off then. And he just turns around in that tracking shot of him walking away and then just shooting him in the back several times before the one final headshot that takes him down. think that's going to have to be mine. It just narrowly eked out Pat getting his fucking arm hacked to shit <laughs> and just them trying to deal with it and Tiger wrapping his arm up in duct tape and a towel. I That's the part that makes me cringe more than anything is them wrapping his arm in duct tape. And I'm like, when he gets to the hospital, that is going to fucking suck to remove. (laughs) (laughs) So what about you, TJ? 
So favorite scene would have to be whenever their uh, Imogen Poots is on the in the green room. Uh, Red lace skinhead is downstairs in the uh, floorboard room, whatever the fuck it is, the drug lab. And mm-hmm. then uh, we see Aunt Yelchin uh, all fucking face painted up. The fuck was that? Uh, all face painted up, hiding with the shotgun, and they're kind of doing the back and forth thing. And, you know, he's he creeps out a little bit. And he goes to hit him. But at the same time, like, she cuts his throat. and it, So he has to run back. And it's just the... the, the the amount of suspense built in that scene from the back and forth, I think, is extremely uh, – it's done extremely well. I think it's awesome. It's a very tense scene. Uh, for favorite shot, though, uh, Patrick Stewart getting blasted at the end. Just insane. I'm telling you. That's a, a cool good visual. One. Yeah. Just, just him laying there is just so impactful, probably because of who he is. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It's it's, just how it's pretty gnarly. So favorite effect slash death. This is a movie for it, Brody. Mm-hmm. Well, I had it uh, where one of the skinheads turns on his own people due to the fact that uh, his missus was uh, the one that got stabbed in the head by a worm, and then they run outside the green room to the bar, and it definitely catches you off guard. He gets a shotgun blast to the side of his face. That to me was a really powerful scene because you think, oh my God, he's going to lead us out of here. Then all of a sudden, boom, hits you from the right side and you don't see it coming. The uh, the funny part of that is the guy that killed him is the replacement bartender that was filling in for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I noticed that the first time around, but I was like, oh shit, that's the dude. He's like, no, Daniel's gone. I'm filling in. <laughs> it's the same guy. Hey, hey. Even he got a satisfying death, a machete to the neck. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck that guy. Yeah. But um, I don't know. There were so many, yeah, awesome uh, kill scenes in this, especially Darcy's death at the end. I thought that was really cool. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, the one that stood out for me was the shotgun blast in the face. Just hit me for six. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it may have honestly potentially been a callback to the similar shot that we talked about earlier from Blue Ruin where uh, Teddy, I think his name was, takes that shot to the head. Um, I think, let's see. I really did like the effect of them uh, disemboweling Big Justin after they knocked him out with the, with the fucking box cutter. And they just, <laughs> it was so, it's so slow and it's so quiet. Like, it's just so silent. And all you can hear is basically just all of them whimpering and freaking out while she just cuts him open. And then he just, Pulls him over because right before that she goes, "How do you know when he's out?" <laughs> and she does that, and I'm like, "That's how. That's that's how you know." <laughs> so I think I think that was probably my favorite because Sam's death was off screen by the dog. Um, Tiger's was pretty good. We had to see Tiger get his throat ripped out. Um, yeah, it was either that or Reese when Reese takes the machete blows out of the back while crawling out the uh, window, but not so much for that part itself, but just. Darcy coming up afterwards asking if he was still breathing and they're like yeah and he goes yeah just just let him bleed out it'll be better for the uh, time frame we're trying to establish if he dies later anyway so yeah just let him bleed and then walks I'm like god this fucker's cold holy shit cold as ice Mm -hmm. I'd have to agree with you on both I think the dog Mm. shit's pretty crazy 
but that 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 the old the old uh, box cutter the gut is oh. super fucking gnarly. Oh, uh. Uh. And, and oddly enough, that doesn't make me cringe as much as just them wrapping that fucking duct tape around Pat's arm. Yeah. <laughs> so, boys, thoughts on story? I I love the story. You know, it has my two favorite things in it: metal and violence. Um, but it's not even just that; it's the it's what the director captures it's that realistic nature of violence that does it for me um you know like the the characters are written extremely well and and we go on this journey with them but we want them to survive and when they don't that's the gut punching blow so yeah it definitely worked for me um overall yeah i really really enjoy this film every time i watch it and for some reason i always find something new every time i watch it i don't know whether it's in the background or it's the storytelling or dialogue, it's just something something I always pick up you every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. I'd say about the same. I mean, I, of course, I love the story. This was one of my picks. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm just I'm not gonna lie. I like it, Nick. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It y'all gave me an excuse to watch this fucking movie again, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean it's great. It's also great just watching uh, the character of Gabe over the course of all of it as you just slowly start to pick apart that he's like, "Holy shit, I'm way in too deep over my head right now." Like until it gets to the point at the end, or they're they're forcing him to go in and clean up the bodies as they're crawling up out of the hole, and he walks up just. Well, fuck. <laughs> you know, if I'd known all this shit was gonna happen, I'd have fucking stayed home. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just I love the storytelling. I love punk, so I just like watching a movie about a punk band and just the establishing of them being all down on their log. You know, they're living in the van, tigers falling asleep at the living wheel, and they're the ending up in cornfields down by the river. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Full> Chris Farley. <laughs> But yeah, no, I just I like the establish the establishing of that, you know, they're siphoning gas to try to get home and all that. And it really just kind of explains how down on their look that they are, that they accept to do this gig in the first place. Yeah, that's how a Um, lot of uh, these movies portray punk bands as they don't do shit. Right. But I mean, I, I think part of it, well, especially theirs, because they do kind of explain it in that interview is that they don't they don't really promote themselves. They're super DIY trying to be really small. Cause yes, he he's like, you guys are hard to find. You don't really have a lot of releases, no digital media, anything like that. No social media presence. And Pat says it himself. He's like, we just don't think that's how music's supposed to be. It's this awesome thing. You come together, you have the show, you all get to sit together and listen to it live. And then when it's done, it's over. Yeah. And we just go back to it. And so I think that kind of establishes why they're in that position in the first place. It's just kind of their DIY punk ethic for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this movie is just, yeah. I <laughs> went in with an expectation that this was going to be a, a fucking gore fest, mainly because of uh, the way Brody talked it up to me. Uh, <laughs> but I watched it and I was like, okay, the story is pretty fucking compelling. Definitely nowhere near as gory as I thought it was going to be or cringy at all. Uh, maybe the most cringy thing about this film is some of the shit that's said. It's so off color and then so fucking foul. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 It's again, going back to that Patrick Stewart saying white supremacist phrases. It's just, it's it doesn't. Like, what's up? No, no. It what's going matter. on yeah. here? <laughs> no. Stop. 
Make yeah. him stop. I don't like racist Picard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but other than that, I think the story's quite the little uh like almost reverse home invasion because they're in somebody else's house and they gotta get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the stone cold beer and the and the dad's <laughs> talking. <laughs> that, it's it's a reverse. It's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it. Mm. Impacted takeaways, <laughs> boys. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe may, maybe don't maybe don't be a skinhead. I I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> uh, at least that's one. Um, but no, I I really like. Um, I think the impact on this, I really feel like Jeremy Saulnier is still kind of up and coming. So it's hard to see what sort of impact his movies are making in the in the long run, at least for now. Because, um, I mean, Murder Party is. You know, that's from 2007 by now, but that's just a small indie kind of short film that he made. Um, and then Blue Ruin. um like Brody said, I think is pretty underappreciated. I don't think it's had enough of an impact yet. We might see him do more in the future. Um, but I would love to see more movies like this that are almost like, if you know what a bottle episode is for a TV show, um, where it's just primarily set in just one small location. So like the green room in this, uh, just taking that sort of claustrophobic feel and just very small, very focused ideas four movies and then just running with it as much as possible. I'd love to see that just get used more, but yep. Yeah. I, 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 um, the thing I took away from it is that the director, well, like it is a low budget film and, and it's powerful storytelling and, but the director set out to what he intended on making, like to capture that realist uh, realism uh, about the film and, uh, the representation of skinheads to an extent, um, you know, like going into unknown territory uh, is a dangerous thing. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, I think the director set out to make the film that he wanted and he succeeded very highly um, in the end. Hmm. Yeah. But what about you, Mr. Bowser? Uh, I found out that uh, modern skinheads are shit without guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> impact uh, really did yeah like slick nick said can't really gauge that right now too new of a film uh, and that's probably going to be the the answer on most of these newer films that we cover uh i won't be picking them so don't worry about that uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah takeaways like i said with the with the guns and whatnot but uh yeah it's it's a compelling story and all that, but nothing really that like really really stays with me after the film. Hmm. It's yeah. I mean, learn to read a room well if you're going into the shady part of town. Uh, <laughs> maybe when you walk into the green room and you see all that, uh, let's say, racist propaganda. Is that the best way to say it? Memorabilia. Memorabilia. Because there's a lot of stickers that you'd only find in that mm-hmm. type of place. 
Uh, well, someone straight up carved yeah. an SS into the table in front of them, too, if you pay attention to that coffee table. <laughs> yeah, learn to read a room, and if you're in that situation, get the fuck out. Because uh, it's not going to end well, like like we mentioned earlier. Who knows uh, how this would have ended, whatever chain of events occurred, so... Yeah, I still I still hold that it is extremely punk. It is one of the most punk things you could do to play Nazis, Nazi punks fuck off in a skinhead bar. Yes, <laughs> I will hold that forever. <laughs> but then they I can't left. blame Pat. Then they could have. Yeah, yeah, just just left. Yeah, <laughs> just be like, oh, I forgot my phone. Leave it. <laughs> yes, yeah, bye, baby. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's rate this bad boy homicidal Nazi punks out of five. Slick Nick, start us off. Uh, I'm absolutely going to be biased for this, but I won't. I won't give it a five. Um, there are, you know, some decisions and things that they make during it that even I'm like, that's stupid. Why would you? Why would you do that when you're in this situation? But I, I think you know, part of it is the panic that they're in and the claustrophobia. Um, but I genuinely love this movie, and I love it every more every time I see it. I'm gonna have to give it a four and a half. Brody? Yeah, I'm just going to have to give it a solid four, Mr. Bowser. Okay, I'm going to give it a two and a half because I think that there's better films out there and I think we'll watch them. (laughs) So that is a Lights, Camera, Exploitation score of 3.6 Homicidal Nazi Punks out of five. And they can fuck off. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Nazi bugs, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next week, what do we got, boys? Boy, <laughs> what film we got, Brody? Well, I'm pretty sure it's a TJ Bowser pick. TJ Bowser. We didn't just do one of mine. No, no, we did Razorback. Razorback was before this. Oh, are we doing Bird? We are doing the bird with the crystal plumage. Oh, okay, we're That's doing uh, Daddy Argento's first film, <laughs> and that is the bird with the crystal plumage. So we'll be making a return to Arrow. And Brody, I, I heard a rumor that you're getting that movie in the mail, along with like half that, of his fucking filmography. <laughs> yes, and I do, and I do appreciate that, Mister Bowser. Uh, whether or not it turns up in time is another story, but yes. Either one way or another, I will be bloody watching it, obviously. So, yeah, it's going to be a fucking doozy. I am excited for you guys to watch that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, I promise you, my score is going to be super, super high. Brody's going to love the cinematography. It is truly exquisite. Some of the shots are awesome. And you'll just see them replicated in so many Jallo films for years to come after this. And, I mean, you got to remember, this is like started it all. This started such a huge genre explosion in Italy that then transformed and morphed into the Americanization version, which is slasher films. So just enjoy this film for all of its awesome mystery and all the cool shots that Argento manages to pull off. I mean, it, it's wild. So yeah, just stay tuned and tune in for next week's show. I promise you, it'll be a doozy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think that's it for this one. So this is your host with the motherfucking mouse, TJ Bowser, saying see you next week. This is your DKB signing out and saying catch you later, mother lickers. <laughs> and this is Slick Nick saying, I missed you guys. I'm glad to be back. <laughs>